It takes a ton of resources to get food to our tables. When you think about what it takes to grow, harvest, transport, store, cool, cook our food, it's just a huge um, resource commitment. And so when we are throwing that food out, all of that is for naught, right? And on top of that, when that food goes to landfills, it decomposes and creates methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. Welcome to the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Purdy, integrative dietitian and nutrition educator. Before we get into today's interview, we want to remind you that this podcast is now also available to watch on YouTube. Simply visit youtube.com slash drinkorgain to watch this and past interviews. Now for our episode. April is Earth Month. And that means we are exploring the many ways that our actions affect our environment. And uh, we might owe the earth a bit of an apology. Now, you may or may not know that our food and agricultural system is one of the leading contributors to environmental degradation, climate change, and biodiversity loss. It also has the potential to be a solution. And today's topic is food waste. So back in my 20s, I did a bunch of catering in New York City and mostly for large corporate events. And at the end of every single shift, there would be trays of food. And I mean, gobs and gobs of food of amazing, delicious stuff that would get completely thrown away. And this absolutely hurt my heart and soul to see this food just dumped when I would see dozens of hungry people on the streets every single day. So I started bringing containers with me and boxing up the food to hand out to people on my subway ride home. However, sometimes there wasn't always somebody to give that food to, so I would often take it home and then try to eat it, but you can only eat so much fettuccine and green beans uh, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. So I wound up throwing a lot out, which also really hurt my heart and soul. But what I didn't realize then that I know now is that this is also a huge environmental issue. So we waste 40% of the food that we produce. That's 1,200 calories per person per day. And it costs a lot of money as well. And, and food waste contributes to greenhouse gas emissions. It's a leading cause of freshwater contamination. And that's a heck of a lot of people that are not getting the food that could be perhaps redistributed. The good news is that we can do something about it. And 40% of food waste comes from consumers like us, you and me. So there's a lot of opportunity here. Earth, are you listening? We got you. We're excited to be joined today by Dana Gunders, a national expert on food system and named the woman who helped start the waste-free movement by Consumer Reports. She is the executive director of ReFed, a nonprofit working to reduce food loss and waste And prior to this, she was a senior scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council, where she authored the landmark Wasted Report about food waste. She is also the author of the Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook. Dana, welcome. It's so good to have you. It's great to be here, Mary. Thanks so much for having me. And so tell us a little bit about how you became interested in food waste. Well, I actually also worked for a caterer back in my 20s, so I I know that experience. I don't know that it struck me, though. I I certainly was not taking packing it up and taking it on the subway. Really, where I came across this was I was working on a sustainable agriculture project at the Natural Resources Defense Council, and Mm -hmm. there we were trying to get farmers to really be more careful about their water use and their energy use and their fuel use, things like that. 
and I was put in charge of the waste group, which, which was supposed to look at, you know, there's a lot of plastics and stuff in farming. So we were looking at that, but I stumbled across these numbers on how much food was going to waste. And I went, wait a minute, Hmm. here we are trying to get farmers to be like five or 10% more efficient with their water, but we're throwing almost half the food that they grow out. And what a waste. And it struck me. It's a lot like energy efficiency in that we need to be more efficient with how we use the food we grow, except in energy, there's a whole field around, you know, getting people to change out their light bulbs. Whereas in food, there wasn't even a discussion about it. I went back to the farmers and said, wait a minute, this is saying that like 40% of food goes to waste. Is that possible? And they would go, "Mm, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And I went, oh my gosh, how is nobody talking about this? And so ultimately that led me to write a report, really kind of research what was out there, which was not much, but pull what I could find together in a report. Yeah, the report just got a huge media response because no one else could believe that 40% of food was going to waste in the country. And that that's really what kicked me off into this issue. It was about 10 years ago. So I've been working on it ever since. Excellent. Well, the work cannot happen fast enough. And and you know, I mentioned a couple of issues around why food waste is a problem up front. Why is it a problem? Why should we be concerned about food waste, aside from the fact that it's just sort of sad that a bunch of tomatoes rotted in our fridge? What's the real issue here? Yeah, well, as you were mentioning, it takes a ton of resources to get food to our tables. When you think about what it takes to grow, harvest, transport, store, cool, cook our food, it's just a huge um, resource commitment. And so when we are throwing that food out, all of that is for naught, right? And on top of that, when that food goes to landfills, it decomposes and creates methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. So our estimates are that the footprint of wasted food is actually larger from a greenhouse gas perspective than the entire aviation industry. From a water perspective, it uses more water than the states of Ohio and Texas combined. If you were to picture a farm growing all of this food, it would be three quarters the size of California. And you'd be putting food into trucks, you know, big semi trucks every 20 seconds. And those trucks would drive all around the country, except instead of getting that food to people, they'd go straight to a landfill where they actually would make up the number one product going into landfills today. Wow. Those are huge numbers. And so it's it's about the greenhouse gas emissions, but it's also about fresh water consumption, how much water you're saying is being used, and then the huge amount of resources that have gone into actually creating all of this food to begin with that winds up getting wasted. Right. And beyond that, deforestation is happening because of land use pressures, right? So we're taking a lot of land up to grow food that we're not eating. And then there's more land, more native ecosystems being kind of paved down to grow more food. So the more efficient we can be, we just kind of take the pressure off of that whole system. And then, of course, there's where you started the conversation, which is that it's it's just kind of a, a moral tragedy that this is happening alongside all of the the hunger that still exists in this country. And just, you know, this week, the benefits, you know, there was a huge cut, the the pandemic era kind of benefits for food assistance ended. And so we are, with food prices rising, we are really looking at a situation where we are going to have a lot more people having to make hard choices about where they spend their money and how much they can spend on food versus rent versus keeping lights on. So we're at this moment where just just you know having having part of our society throwing food out when there's another part that really needs it is just kind of a shame. 
Yeah. And I think people don't realize the implications of this. I mean, even just in the beginning of, of the food growing process of deforestation, right. And the implication that that has in the environment that we are cutting down trees that that have the potential to sequester carbon from the atmosphere. And then we use all these resources to grow the food and then we are, wind up wasting the food. I mean, the implications are just huge and the prevention feels like it is, is so necessary, especially when we're seeing food prices rise and people go hungry every single day when we're, we're producing gobs and gobs in food. So why? Let's ask the big question, which is what's the root cause of this? Why are we wasting so much food or why are we losing so much food? Yeah, I think a lot of times it boils. I mean, it's very different, right? If you're looking at like, why do tomatoes not get harvested on a field versus why are we scraping our potatoes off of our plates or, or right. whatnot? So it's a very different problem. You know, I like to say, like people talk about it as it's one problem, but it's really about fixing kind of the whole food system. If you had to boil it down to a couple of things, you know, one is it's invisible, we are not measuring it. No one knows how much food they are wasting. That is true if you're a restaurant. That is true if you're a grocery store. That is true if you are somebody in your own kitchen. And so because we're not measuring it, it's kind of difficult to see. One of my favorite statistics is that 75% of Americans say they waste less than the average American. And you so have to stop and think about for a right. moment, you're going, wait a minute, that Hold is not possible. Hold yeah, on. Right? Which means that we think we're better than we are, right? Mm, and and mm -hmm. and anyone who works with restaurants on this will tell you, I, no restaurant has any waste. You know, that's the first, oh, we don't waste. No, no, no. So I think that um, one is we don't see it. Another is that, and I think this is changing a little bit as food prices rise, but food is relatively inexpensive mm -hmm. for many people. And certainly if you're a food business, you're actually, while you're aware of food costs, your bigger costs are labor and maybe rent. When you're optimizing, it may not be worth having somebody work an extra hour to make sure that you're donating your food or that you're trimming your broccoli, you know, to use all the parts or things like that. So yeah. there are some trade-off decisions that are made from an economic perspective that actually are rational, but that lead to waste in the end. So those are some of the main causes at the highest level. I think when you dive in more specifically, and maybe, you know, I mean, we could talk about farms and, and manufacturers, but I think for your audience, it's probably more interesting to just talk about what's happening in people's homes. And that that really boils down to kind of like poor food management, right? So, you know, we are very aspirational when we go to the grocery store. We like to walk down the aisles and think about how we are going to eat healthy and cook a lot this week and feed our children well and mm -hmm. be adventurous or, or whatever it is then a life happens for the rest of the week. And we don't always kind of live out those aspirations. I think that's a big part of it. Some people are scared of food. They don't really understand when it's okay to eat food and when it's not. Mm -hmm. And so there's the kind of when in doubt, throw it out mentality. Certainly the date labels on food cause some of that confusion. They don't have the cooking skills to know like, okay, I'm not sure about this spinach. I'll just cook it. Rather, they just throw it out, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I just think there's sort of a cultural apathy to it all where whatever we do our first cleanup, we just throw it out. It, it, we're pretty numb to it. So I think that that relates as well. I want to acknowledge the fact that I have wasted food as well. So I'm not coming to this conversation 
thinking like that I have somehow solved my own food waste issue. I am culpable. And, you know, I have gone to the farmer's market with the best of intentions and bought like, oh, I'm going to buy this crazy looking vegetable like celeriac. This is this is the most crazy looking food I've ever seen. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to take it home and I'm going to cook it. And then I don't. <laughs> and I have had things in my refrigerator in the back shelf that you forget about and you think, oh, shoot, I was going to you know make that dish and I didn't make it. So I'm hearing from you, there's the issue of just poor planning or maybe a lack of planning, a lack of ability to, to understand how to cook well, not understanding when food is still still good to eat. And then you mentioned something really important, which I think people don't often think about, which is that we don't value food. We don't value food. And as a result, it doesn't feel like it matters if we somehow toss something out because we haven't had that that sense of actually valuing it. And I'm wondering, how do we get people to value food and to think of food as like this precious way of connecting with our bodies, our health, our our families, our culture, our communities? How do we change that? It's like at one hand, we don't value it. On the other hand, people have this like love for farms, right? They're like just this beautiful idea for people. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's in there somewhere. It doesn't always register when it's like 6.30 PM and your kids are screaming, you got to get dinner on the table and it's more transactional. So it's kind of like, how do you create the time to have that? And and I think that's, it's a challenge and it's not going to happen every day and every night and every meal. It is a mindset problem, right? So even if you don't have the time to sit there and cook a beautiful meal on a Wednesday, I do think if you have this mindset of food is important, I don't want to waste it, then you do start to look at your refrigerator a little bit differently and you think about dinner a little bit differently and you go more from like, okay, well, what do I have and what needs to be used up and what can I make with that? rather than like, oh my gosh, can we just get takeout tonight because I'm tired, right? (laughs) It's a cultural shift. I mean, it is a difficult cultural shift to make happen. And I think it's going to take a lot of different avenues to get us there. You said you waste food. We always food. I waste food. My husband is totally sworn to secrecy, you know, (laughs) it just, it happens and it's not for malintent. And once it happens, it's too late. And I think that's, what's so challenging about this. No one wakes up wanting to waste food, right? There's just a level of attention you need to pay to it that otherwise it kind of just sort of happens. And I think that asking people to pay that attention when there's so many other things going on in their lives is a challenge. And um, so that's part of it as well. And what would you say are the most commonly wasted foods? Um, You know, there's been some studies about this. Coffee is actually from a weight perspective. I know it's heavy, but like that's a high one. Pasta and rice are pretty high up there, but then fresh fruits and vegetables that don't get consumed. And then interestingly, leftovers are pretty high up there because people kind of get sick of them, you know, Mm -hmm. or like they kind of intend to do it and then they just don't. It's They're great on day one. They're great for lunch the next day, but the next day, you know, you're kind of like, I don't need any more chili. So one of the things I like to promote, I'm sure we'll get into this more later, but is freezing foods. And especially leftovers, because most people don't like to eat those leftovers, you know, past that first day. And so after day one, put them in the freezer right away and they only have to stay in there for like a week. They don't have to stay in there. It doesn't have to be long-term storage for months and months, you know, Mm -hmm, (laughs) like freezers mm -hmm. can be more actively used. I'll say personal note here. I live for leftovers. I love leftovers. I cannot get enough of my leftovers. So hopefully we can change the dynamic on there. 
I'm Mary Purdy, and you're listening to the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast. We're on with national food waste expert, Dana Gunders. And next, we're going to dive a bit further into how you can limit your household food waste in your home and in your community. But first, a word from the sponsor of this podcast, Orgain. Thanks, Mary. We're proud to announce that Orgain has earned its B Corp certification, joining a growing movement of like-minded businesses balancing purpose and profit to positively impact the planet and the people living on it. This marks an important milestone in Orgain's ongoing efforts to be a force for good in the world, which began with our founding mission to provide accessible, clean nutrition for all. To learn more about our B Corp certification, visit Orgain.com. Now back to you, Mary. Let's get back to our conversation now with Dana Gunders. So Dana, I want to talk a little bit more about strategies and how we can reduce food waste or how folks who are listening can help to reduce food waste in their homes. You know, I'm about to go on a trip and we are in the process of clearing out our refrigerator. And when I've done this before in the past, like we have the craziest meals. We're like having, you know, pickle sandwiches. And uh, my husband's like, oh my God, is it olives and fermented sauerkraut again tonight for our vegetable? (laughs) Anything that we can do to just clear out the fridge. But you talked about the food management skills for reducing food waste, for helping with benefiting health, and then also reducing that grocery bill. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the strategies behind how we can reduce food waste in our in our homes and communities. Sure. First off, the best way is to be a good planner. Now, I know that plan is a four-letter word in our society these days, but If you are able to do that, and this does not have to mean sitting around on a Sunday night reading a cookbook for two hours, right? Mm -hmm. It can be like, okay, I like, you know, we always have pasta and quinoa bowls and whatever, and just kind of the standard, right? And also Wednesday, we're going to be out. We're not going to be here. And so I think importantly, planning in for nights you're not eating is important. Just making sure that kind of those standard meals get in there because you're more likely to actually follow through with a plan for your standards. And then maybe sprinkling in something exciting if you have the energy for that. If you can plan and stick to a shopping list, you will save money, you will eat healthier typically, and you will also have less food go to waste. Apparently you also save time. At least that's what some studies have shown. So it's really a great practice. Doesn't work for everyone. If you are not very good at that, then what you need to do is get very good at your use it up strategies. And I love that you're planning ahead. I mean, when I go on vacation, it's like a week ahead. I'm like, oh gosh, we're going on vacation in a week. Like, what am I going to do? I have seven days to like, you know, strategize around all this food I have. But whether it's vacation or just your, your average week, I think getting really good at these use it up strategies is important. Some people have like a fridge night or mm-hmm. you know, some people call it waste less Wednesdays or stir Fridays, but you know, right. having that go-to meal with, you know, it might be taco night. It might be a soup that you make. It might be frittata, but whatever works for your household, but, you know, kind of working in those use it up meals into your rotation is a really good strategy. Another, as I mentioned before, is freezing foods. Our freezers are like a magic pause button. So let's say you don't get around to using everything in your fridge before you go on vacation. I mean, before I go on vacation, I'm like, like I take, you know, 10 minutes to just take whatever I can out of my fridge and stick it in my freezer. You know, whether it's pasta or half a jar of pasta sauce, you can freeze eggs if you kind of take them out of the shell and scramble them and, but don't cook them. You can freeze cheese, you can freeze milk. 
You can freeze beans and tofu. I think people don't think that you can, yeah. but you can. You can. And sometimes, you know, I mean, with something like tofu and sometimes beans, like the texture might change a little bit. So and what? that's where that mindset comes in. Exactly. It's like, all right, well, so it's a little bit strange. Like we're not you know, eating Michelin star meals every night in our home. Right. It's, it's okay. So I think those are, you know, in, in homes, those are the main strategies. And then it's also important to understand what the date labels on food mean. Many people think they are telling you to throw that food out when in fact, the sell by, use by, best by kind of dates are really meant to be an indicator of quality and when food is at its top quality. And most foods can be in days, weeks, sometimes even months after those dates, depending on the food. So if you are worried about it, just taste it. Our bodies are very well equipped to taste when something is too old to eat. And if you're scared of it, it's important to know that the, the reason people get sick from food, you know, when you hear about a foodborne illness like E. coli, salmonella, listeria, those are products that are on the food before they get to us, right? And whether or not they're past their date, they will make us sick. Now, typically that's not happening, but it's not a factor of age. And so listeria is a little bit different. Typically for most foods, the bacteria and enzymes that decay food are not dangerous to us. And our bodies are very well equipped to know when to not eat something. So the best buy, use by label that you might see on food is not the, the date by which you will grow a third ear, but the date by which the manufacturer of that food thinks the food will taste its best, right? Exactly. Precisely. And we luckily have a, a, another um, bodily part, which helps us determine, and that's the old nose. If you smell something that feels off, your nose is a pretty good indicator of, of letting you know that. And you know, one thing I love doing too is you mentioned frittatas, you mentioned soups. I'm a huge fan of taking stalks broccoli stalks, leafy green stalks. I never throw those out. Those are gold. Those are gems to throw into a frittata, stir fry, a soup, and sometimes even a smoothie if you've got a, a blender that's strong enough. That's right. In our house, we have a, we call it butt soup. It's the, um, <laughs> it's cauliflower butts, right? Like that cabbagey part of the cauliflower. Yes. And we just like, you know, make a little soup with it. And my kids love it. And I think it's hilarious because it's called Right. Butt. I mean, th I think this is that about that mindset, right? It's not about, oh gosh, you know, here's the the stock that doesn't look as pretty or doesn't seem as, as appealing, but it actually is just fine. And in fact, it can be fabulous. It can be more than just fine or adequate. It can be delectable, delicious. And it's just about getting creative in the kitchen. And what about when people go out to eat when it comes to portioning or bringing containers? What's your advice around that with restaurants? Restaurants are challenging because you don't have control. Well, you do, but you don't, right? Um, over exactly what you're going to get. And so one of the biggest causes of waste in the whole food system is actually plate, what we call plate waste. That's food that is served in restaurants that is not eaten. There's so much of it, right? About 70% of the waste in that's happening in restaurants is actually already sold and served. And so what can we do about that as consumers? I think as consumers, it's asking about what the portions are, what comes with it, and just kind of thinking through, are you going to eat it all, right? Because it's our natural inclination to just everyone order a meal, but sometimes that happens and you get all this food and, you know, we've all had that experience where we just like order and then it comes out and you're like, oh gosh, wow. there's no way we are all eating those. We totally mm -hmm. could have split that, but sometimes it's hard to know ahead of time. So I think really asking your server kind of, well, how big is this? And one of the things I would like to see more of is 
visual representation of portion sizes before ordering. You know, I think if restaurants could do that for us, that would be great. Also, a lot of times you can get a half order, even if it's not on the menu. So that's a good thing to know. Really kind of looking at what the sides, you know, what comes with it, because that's the other thing that happens. You eat the burger, but not the French fries. So making sure that the sides are the ones you want. And then, as you mentioned, taking, you know, what you can home if you don't eat it. So whether that's bringing a container yourself, which I think is kind of a high bar and a lot of people don't want to do that, but at least, you know, asking the restaurant to take things home and then remembering to eat it when we get home. I have now started putting take-home containers just in my bag the same way that, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I just automatically bring my own bags. I've started to create a new mindset in myself. I just I just bring containers. So I was out at a restaurant the other night and just brought containers. And I actually brought containers for the friends that we were at going out to eat with. And so they took home one of our containers and we took home one of our containers. You know who loved it was the waiter. They were like, oh my God, this is a great idea. And I said, you know, this should this should be enforced at restaurants. It's sort of like when you book your, your reservation, don't forget to bring your containers. And I love your idea too of the, the, uh, the visual representation of the actual portion size. That's brilliant. Yeah. What about convenience foods? You know, you were talking about plastic in your in your life at the Natural Resources Defense Council and marking plastic, but plastic can actually also play a role with reducing food waste. It's like one of the few good things about plastic. How do we have convenient foods? Convenience foods play a role in reducing our food waste, like pre-cut foods. One great example are frozen vegetables, yeah. right? I always have some on hand. I think it really takes the pressure off of always having those fresh vegetables around. Now, most of the time I do. Frozen vegetables are great. They're chopped for me. They're washed for me, right? All I have to do is like throw them in the pan and there we are and they never go bad. So that would be one area where it is a huge convenience and it helps have less waste. I think other convenience can go the other way and time and, you know, to me, time and convenience are kind of intertwined, right? So this idea that in some places you can order your groceries in two hours, they'll be there in two hours or your meal, that is very convenient for us as consumers, but it could lead to more waste at the grocery or restaurant level, right? Because they're needing to have everything on hand to make sure they can get it to you in two hours. Interesting. Yeah. Some of that convenient stuff is convenient for us, but maybe leading to waste upstream. It's so good to have that perspective. I actually had not thought of that before. What about food that like meal delivery kits? Are those effective? Or is that a a good thing to buy? Not not a good thing to buy as it relates to food waste? Yeah. Well, as it relates to food waste, those are actually great because they do the planning for you. They do the portioning for you. They do, you know, they do a lot of the work for you and you just kind of got to do the cooking, right? Those save quite a bit of waste, especially for things like herbs or condiments that you don't really want to buy a whole spice jar of mace or something, right? And so they just give you a little bit, a little bit that you need. You don't have a use for a whole bunch of parsley or thyme or something. I think that those are really useful for that. So they generally do. T- and and it's very rare that somebody buys those meal kits and then doesn't follow through in cooking them because mm-hmm. they're all right there and you pay the money. And so I think there's quite low waste and there have been studies that have shown that. Of course, there's a trade-off, you know, there's quite a bit of packaging associated. And I think they're trying to work on that. And we're seeing more in-store like meal kit 2.0 kind of things coming out where you can 
go up to a place and pick your protein and pick your thing and cook it that night. And we should mention that we're talking about mace the spice and not mace the thing you might spray yes. in somebody's eye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I always hear that word and go, oh, is that, is that, are we talking about the edible mace or the, the, right. uh, the hazardous mace? You know, we can't talk about food solutions when it comes to food and agriculture without talking about a touch of technology. So what technology advances have been made, whether it's apps or, or other things that are out there that are helping to reduce food waste? There's a bunch kind of within the supply chain, right? There are ways that, so uh, the average grocery store sells about 50,000 different items and, and it's very hard for them to track every single item and predict the sales for every single item as they're buying it, right? So that's been a great application of big data and artificial intelligence to really look at how each product sells, depending on the weather, depending on what other promotions are happening in the store, mm. you know, and be more precise and accurate about their purchasing. So, and there's other stuff that's like that, some imaging to detect quality issues and such in the supply chain. I think when it comes to consumers, one of the really successful apps, and this is kind of both with both at the market and consumer, but are these last minute sale apps. So mm. at the grocery store, there's one called Flash Food. Uh, with restaurants, there's one called Too Good to Go. Yes. And those are allowing restaurants or grocery stores to say, hey, wait a minute, I have this product that I'm about to take off the shelf or throw out because it's the end of the night, right? And and it allows them to put it on for a half price or, you know, a deep discount and still sell that. And that's just a win-win for everybody, you know? Mm -hmm. It allows for us to get food cheaper. It allows for the store to get some income out of it, even if it's not the full amount. And I know there are organizations now like Misfit Produce and Imperfect Produce that are also offering foods that may not always fit the ideal of what food should look like, but they're able to sell those as well, whether it's last minute or just uh, as, a, as a service. And they're, you know, I mean, they started off by selling the quote, ugly fruits and vegetables, right? Those products that didn't fit within the more strict specifications that grocery chains tend to have. And they've expanded, right? Now they sell eggs that are too small that don't make it in. They sell pretzel bits that have fallen, you know, yeah. that, that pretzels break when they, you know, they have pretzel bits you can buy or the ends and trims of things. And so right. they really are doing their best to look all around the food system and go, okay, where are there steady streams of things that can be sold? And also their business model allows them not to just to rely on the steady streams, but the more spontaneous, like, oh gosh, there was a bumper broccoli crop, mm -hmm. right? And now there's too much broccoli in the market. And so we're really going to like push that through our boxes. So yeah, they're playing an important role. And that seems like another terrific place where consumers can advocate for buying those or to actually purchase those upcycled foods or that imperfect produce. And again, changing that mindset of what a tomato actually is supposed to look like or what an apple should look like, you know, and, and it can be cheaper too. I was at the farmer's market last week and apples, I'm here in the, the Seattle, Washington area and apples are tend to be at the farmer's market, $2.99 a pound. And they had seconds in a little pile. And that's where I always gravitate to. And they were $1.50 a pound instead. And I had three of them this week and they were fabulous. Again, shifting that, that mindset. One final question, which is, We've been talking a lot about things on the individual level, and I would imagine there are people out there listening who may either work in institutions or in healthcare facilities or may have some kind of influence in a larger, a larger facility, a larger organization. How can we 
get more action in larger institutions to take measures to reduce their food waste? And and how can we as individuals help them to achieve that? Yeah. Well, I will say the first thing is sort of getting people's attention, right? And commitment to the issue. That's not that hard to do, right? Nobody really wants even at the institutional level to have food go to waste. So it really quickly goes to like, well, what do we do about it? Right. And I will say that our website, and one of the things we were actually founded on at Refed is analyzing how well solutions work. And so Mm -hmm. if you go to our website at refed.org, we have something called the insights engine and you can go there and say, I work at a food service institution. And then it will tell you, you'll hear the top solutions from a financial perspective, from a greenhouse gas perspective, and here's how much they cost to implement, and here's how much food they could save, and here's how many greenhouses gases they could save. And it kind of, we try to give people that, and you can click through and find different companies that are actually providing those solutions. There's a wealth of information to get people started there. And it just kind of depends on the institution. You know, for instance, in hospitals, Ordering ahead has been a really good strategy, Mm. providing those menus and that choice, because at least patients are getting something that they're interested in. Uh, Waste tracking in kitchens in those facilities has been really successful. On college campuses, you know, taking away trays from cafeterias so that they have to carry everything. Uh, Sometimes having smaller plates Mm -hmm. so that, you know, when they fill them up, they're filling them up with less food. Sometimes it's just signage, just kind of trying to raise that awareness when people are taking food, like, okay, you know, you can always come back, make sure you're going to eat all this. Did you know this much food goes to waste and it has this impact? So it does vary a little bit by your, your setting, but certainly there's something we can all do. And I, I think also if you work in an institution, a lot of times like the frontline people or the managers of a particular cafe, they really know it's really productive to engage the employees who are working because they're, they see it all the time, right? They've become numb, but they see it. And and if you ask them, they might have some good ideas. That's terrific advice. So, I mean, it's, it's not just the person looking from the outside in, it's the people on the inside looking out and being able to collaborate between all of those different members of this system. And I recommend anybody out there who's listening or watching to take a look at Refed because they have incredible tools and resources and ideas and tools for anybody who is out there looking to find ways to reduce their food waste. They're working with food businesses or they have a a place for food businesses to come and funders and policymakers and people who work in the various different food service industries. So highly recommend going to, to Refed to check it out. Dana, thank you so much for an incredible conversation, for the incredible work that you're doing. Is there anything that we should know about how to find you or the work that you're involved with right now? Where can people come to find you and more about what you're doing? Yeah, well, you can find us at refed.org. That's R-E-F as in Frank, E-D dot org. You'll find all those things you were describing and more. And certainly check out, there's a big green button that says the insights engine, and that's where you can really dive into the good stuff. So check that out and you'll find me and and great information. And she also wrote a book, The Waste-Free Kitchen Handbook, which has lots and lots of great ideas as well for how to reduce waste in your kitchen, not just food, but lots of other things too. So wonderful again to speak with you, Dana. Thank you so much for sharing your time and insights today. Really appreciate it. Of course, it's been great to be with you. Thank you, Mary. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Good Clean Nutrition Podcast. If you like this episode, we would really appreciate it if you subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And if you can, give it a five-star rating, a review, or a thumbs up on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.